Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking to Lawrence Finkel about dual pricing. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking about dual pricing and we're joined by Lawrence Finkel, Public Affairs Executive at the Chartered Insurance Institute. The issue of pricing and transparency in general insurance has never been under greater regulatory scrutiny. In September 2018, Citizens Advice submitted a super complaint to the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, calling on them to identify remedies and recommendations to put an end to the penalty paid by loyal and disengaged consumers in five essential retail markets, one of which was household insurance. Since then, the CII Public Trust Index has laid the framework which identified rewarding loyalty as the biggest opportunity for the insurance profession to build public trust. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here's our conversation with Lawrence. Hello, Lawrence. Thank you for joining us today on CII Radio. Oh, thank you for inviting me to be on CII Radio, Luke. Fantastic. Very, very happy to have you here. No, I'm happy to be here too. Excellent. So the subject of dual pricing obviously has become a, a huge issue mm. in the insurance profession. Could you start by telling us a little bit more about the super complaint uh, made by Citizens Advice towards the end of 2018? I can. So yeah, there's the, the reason why, why I'm here to speak about the loyalty penalty is because there's been a huge amount of regulatory attention that's been given to the issue over the past few months. And it's not simply about dual pricing. The, you know That's the price paid by new customers and those at renewal and the, the, the resulting penalty that's paid by um, disengaged, long-standing or, or, or inert customers. In fact, there's, there are wider debates around this issue concerning um, whether the which customers are affected most by this pricing practice, particularly those who are considered vulnerable. Right, okay. And th- there are varying kind of descriptions and definitions of what it means to be a vulnerable customer. But there's there's been a p- acute attention given to this subject because it is it is perceived particularly vu- but vulnerable customers in particular are the ones who are most disadvantaged. Right, okay. So that's something to bear in mind. There are other, and um, when I refer to great wider debates, there's the, the pricing debate itself, again, has, has become, has kind of received a lot more attention because the more data that insurers have acquired about customers gives them the opportunity to base to personalize pricing it's kind of a lot more kind of accurately according to you know a particular customer type or segment now look you know dual pricing is a, is is one kind of segment within that debate but i think it's also worth bearing in mind anyway so as far as dual pricing is concerned and yet yeah, dual pricing is the principally the difference between the price paid by a new customer um, when purchasing an insurance product and the price um, by comparison paid by a customer at renewal for insurance uh, insurance product yeah there has been a, a lot of attention given to this um, for some time now and actually before the most recent kind of round of regulatory attention. That's particularly taken up by Citizen Advice, as you suggested. Um, Citizen Advice being the kind of the um, one of the kind of most powerful um, consumer groups, not working just in the insurance or financial services, but actually looking at how consumers are treated across essential markets. And that's something to bear in mind in this debate, that insurance is not the only um, sector where the you know the the perceived detriment to the customer caused by dual pricing is really effective. In fact, the five markets that can, that um, that, cus- that citizen advice have identified um, are across the economy. Financial services um, it accounts for three of them, and mobile and broadband being the other two. And we'll obviously focus on home insurance in this particular case, but it's worth bearing in mind that it's not just insurance that's guilty of this. So uh, it's certainly a wider issue than yeah, just right. The so I, th- I think uh, that's it's a 
it's a context that's worth bearing in mind, I think, in this debate. So yes, absolutely. So returning back, so the, yeah, so I think in the it's worth bearing in mind what the the chronology of this debate is, and so really going back to the where the kind of the the water broke, and that was when um, Sis's advice submitted what's described as a super complaint to the Competition and Markets Authority. Right. And that was in the autumn of last year. Um, to give you a bit of background, a super complaint, um, again, get a bit techy about it, but uh, a super complaint um, has been, it was it's kind of enacted in legislation in 2002 as part of the Enterprise Act. And that gives um, citizen advice the, the, the kind of the, the opportunity to highlight to the Competition and Markets Authority when there is a particular issue that they consider to be to the detriment of consumers. Absolutely. And uh, kind of to put this into some more context, the last time that Citizens Advice um, submitted the super complaint was around PPI. And we all know what the kind of impact and ramifications were for that um, around that particular issue. So that gives an indication of how seriously they take dual pricing at the moment. Yes, yeah. So they submitted that complaint and they, as I said, it's across markets, but home insurance being one of them. And they wouldn't make that complaint if it didn't feel as though they had enough evidence to back those claims, to back the super complaint up. They had a particular focus on vulnerable customers. Um, they consider that vulnerable customers to be particularly at detriment um, as opposed to the rest of the market. Those being kind of perhaps older customers or those that are much more likely to not be looking around for the best deal, leave their leave their home insurance or their car insurance to just kind of roll over every year. Absolutely. And so it's it it there's a wider debate taking place between citizen advice, between um, financial conduct authority that I'll get onto in a bit, and the competition marks authority. Um, and you know the sector more widely about what actually constitutes a vulnerable customer, and yes, yeah. you know, quite frankly, you know, we're all customers are vulnerable at some stage in their lives. Mm. Um, well, most are, um, but there are certain indicators you suggested that you could that CIS's advice suggests that you know that the, the sector should consider. So, for instance, in their recommendations that they make um, regarding relating to the loyalty penalty in the home insurance market, they believe that insurance providers should identify customers that are over seventy five. Right. For instance, that's one indicator that should really that should raise uh, not alarm bells, but that insurers should be aware of. Certainly, yeah. Those that didn't purchase their cut their purchase that purchased their insurance product online, so therefore didn't really have the means at their disposal to switch. Which is, you know, again, I'll come on to the you know, the, the journey that we've been on, the reason why we we find ourselves at the, the stage now where dual pricing and differential pricing is just like a fact of life yes, in yeah. essential markets. Yes, so customers that don't aren't were unable to purchase their policy online, and those customers that have required um, requested special assistance. So, for instance, with accessible billing, right. so that. They're kind of three, you know, three identifiers or characteristics that might kind of denote vulnerability. But as I said, that that is a hot debate about what actually constitutes vulnerability, and it's one that the FCA is certainly engaged in at the moment. So I spoke about one of the recommendations there that Citizens Advice made. The other one relating again to that fla to flagging vulnerability in the insurance sector. So they suggest that the, the FCA should think. Um, should act on improving market-wide systems for flagging vulnerability. There, so, for instance, I guess it's very fragmented at the moment. Where actions taken to kind of combat, you know, or to not combat or address, but to help support those customers who are vulnerable to make it more systemic across the sector. And the third one being that the FCA should regard the loyalty penalty as a breach of the the regulatory principle that's enshrined um, in the insurance distribution directive, for instance, um, or it's kind of in first enforced further in the insurance di distribution directive, that firms should consider or should treat customers more, um, treat customers fairly. So that's quite damning 
and as I said, they wouldn't have brought that to kind of the attention of the regulator if they didn't feel as though there's some kind of cons- there's considerable customer detriment taking place. So that was so that's the kind of super complaint that was made. Then that meant that kind of as far as that kind of statutory kind of that the principles been in place and the Competition and Markets Authority then has 90 days to respond, which it did. Okay. So they they do obviously have a, a it's it has to be taken seriously and there's yep. a, a a time limit in to the response or action that must be kind of taken after, yes. after a super complaint. Yeah. So the super, so it's made to come to my authority. They have ninety days then to kind of to assess whether the super, super complaint is valid or not. And but you know as I said before, citizens advice wouldn't submit one if they yeah, didn't. Feel it. So they've got the evidence to back it up. Exactly. So it was. Um, so what was the what did the CMA uh, how did they respond? It, there's only so much they could do in 90 days and they've got kind of undertaken work that they've followed up on but what they do have at their disposal is kind of the, the awareness across the piece of how the lo- how the loyalty penalty operates in different markets where trends are emerging um, that they're able to act on and in insurance they've they not insure they've kind of more widely they've uh, they assess different patterns of the way in which the loyalty penalty was played out there's three um, different categories that they identified one was price jumping um where at the end of the initial contract the price suddenly rises um, and that's kind of quite consistent across a number of markets legacy pricing where new offers um, are made to customers which are not available to long-standing ones which has the law that's the kind of the loyalty penalty in in a phrase and has the same consequence loyalty penalty and then price walking which is actually very commonplace in in insurance where there's a gradual increase in price over time so the kind of the it's you know the loyalty penalty accumulates um so again that's you'd think that it's 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 for very long-standing customers the longer you stay the worse off you are of a provider yes yeah now that's what they drew they've drawn attention to there's particular case studies that in our engagement with the competition markets authority which i you know again i'll come on to later on in the podcast that they flagged to us the particular case studies where for instance kind of elderly customers might have been on a um, an insurance product um, home insurance product where i'm just reading the, the stats were, were pretty damning. Yeah, so there was there was a case study where a, where a customer um, with dementia whose auto whose home insurance provision had renewed each year for fifteen years, right. um, and whose premium had rose from two hundred pound a year to nearly fifteen hundred pound during wow. that period. Over a fifteen year year period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the that's an extreme case. So they've reinforced the kind of the the message that yes, it's a problem. I suppose then after they who kind of conducted their own diagnostic work as it were and also real also kind of uh, made the kind of reached the conclusion that unlike other kind of markets insurance in fact there's there's greater coverage of this price practice but the average is a lot lower as opposed to other markets so in some markets the coverage is kind of more is is kind of more isolated but the the loyalty penalty itself, so the average between paid between a new customer and that a renewal, is yeah. a lot greater. Okay. So that's something else to bear in mind. But that, that doesn't mean so it isn't an issue. In fact, it's in fact it's more widespread in other markets. Yes. Yeah. So what the the CMA then do is throw it back onto the the sector regulators themselves. So in our case, that's the Financial Conduct Authority. Yes. Yeah. So how did they respond to this? Yeah. So they take they they throw it back to they throw it back onto the FCA. Then they want. They again suggest they kind of direct the FCA again to to consider pricing interventions, so which is kind of it's further than the regulator has gone in financial services before. There's been pricing interventions in the utilities market, for instance, in the past, okay. uh, where there's some learning to take from there, which is quite a heavy-handed approach. 
but they haven't stopped short of recommending that. They've suggested that should be in the kind of the regulatory toolkit that the FCA should consider when considering interventions. So the FCA kind of alongside this regulatory attention that's been given in their business plan, which was kind of which was published last year, had already identified that that pricing practices was something that they were going to focus on anyway. So they published their own uh, fair pricing in financial services discussion paper around at the same time as the, co- the Competition Markets Authority was giving attention to this issue, which kind of laid out a framework to consider dual pricing in financial services. Then very shortly afterwards, they kind of, they, they, elevated their the, the, the kind of attention they'd given to this issue by launching a market study into um, general insurance pricing practice um, with a particular focus on both home and motor insurance. Right, I see. So that market study is live at the moment and they're currently kind of conducting quite intense analysis into how wider pricing practices but particularly dual pricing is applied in the market. And that's it's a difficult one for the FCA to play here because they there's widespread understanding that this, it, 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 it exists. The feedback from the market is that ultimately that there's an acknowledgement that, there's, that it's become a necessity really to compete in a lot of cases. And there's a feeling that probably we've gone too far in places, but then the FCA has a difficult game to play here because it doesn't want to be too heavy handed. It wants to ensure that markets are working well. It wants to ensure there's right competition, but also wants to, it needs to kind of to, to mitigate the worst kind of worst outcomes for, for consumers. They've also got a, a job on their hands to identify where vulnerability lies in particular. We spoke about where, how, what kind of characteristics might denote a, a vulnerable customer, but in fact, Vulnerable customers also benefit from from um, from the pricing practices as they are at present. They might be the ones who are able to switch around. In fact, you know, yes, yeah. we need to challenge the assumption actually that vulnerable customers necessarily are at a disadvantage because they're they because we assume they're unable to to switch providers. In fact, some vulnerable customers are able to take advantage of that due to having access to um, to kind of to price comparison websites, uses their advantage, are able to access lower premiums as a result. And it, I guess it's part of the FCA's work um, would be to find out the kind of the extent to the number of vulnerable customers or the proportion of vulnerable customers are actually at an advantage by, and are at a, a disadvantage and the extent to which they are at a, an advantage or disadvantage as well. So they're taking... They're of they're obviously taking this ex- extremely seriously, and they know that citizens' advice are holding their feet to the fire on this this issue. That also citizens' advice accept, uh, expect kind of swift and effective action. Yes, again through engagement that we've had with with all these with all organisations mentioned here that I'll talk about um, in, to, again when I have the opportunity um, in a few minutes. Citizens' advice will be seeking for action if they don't find it from the regulator. They'll be seeking government action, right, and that's probably an area that we don't we don't want to find ourselves in. Um, kind of a more heavy-handed approach. Yeah, that's where we are with the you know with, with the FCA's uh, market study at the moment. There has been a reaction from the market without a doubt, and you know it, it's worth talking about the our put trade association partners who have kind of inserted themselves into this debate particularly the the um, association of british insurers and the british association of, of insurance brokers abi and biba before the citizen advice super complaint they'd already recognized that this was an issue and there's likely to be some more attention given to it um, and they'd come together to agree on a set of action points and guiding principles shorthand called b uh, b g sorry which is agreeing an ethos a 
among ABR and Bieber members that members should act where there's excessive differences and the kind of the, I think the kind of the emphasis should be on excessive differences between custom, new customers and those at renewal as like a low-hanging fruit really before kind of getting to grips with the kind of the grittier details of kind of you know whether whether dual pricing actually works and I think they they come at the the, the issue along with the FCA and the Competition Markets Authority in particular that kind of you know dual pricing itself um, you know isn't a problem like you know dual pricing is you know uh uh, a necessary ramification of, comp- of of kind of of competitive pricing in markets, which is all we, we all want to see. Yes. You know, you know, competition within markets drives down prices. You know, secures better deals for customers. But where there's clearly kind of detriment, their members should act to address that. And we've been assured by both organisations that their members have taken those on board. They, the ABI and Bieber are due to report on kind of their interim findings and an update on kind of measures taken by their members by May 2020, I think. Okay. So that'll be interesting to see what their update is. But again, I think in terms of kind of, I think putting it into some context, insurance sector was actually the first sector to take voluntary action into tackling excessive differences in premiums. Um, so we've acted voluntarily here before there's been, you know, the, the kind of the, the regulatory intervention has taken place. So there's a recognition that it's it, it, there, it's, it, it exists and it's probably gone too far in places. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, as far as ourselves, the CII is concerned, to back up, well, it, it, in essence, what we've done is back up that kind of that voluntary action that's been taken by our trade association partners by by looking at the findings of our own public trust index that we conducted, um, public, well, the first round of research that was conducted last June. And this um, is something the uh, the CIR conducts every year on an annual basis to, to gauge the the kind of temperature and the, the trust levels of the of the market and consumers. That's true. And so we've committed to conducting the research on an annual basis. The first time, as I said, was con- it was conducted last summer. And and yes, yeah. um, it, it wasn't just on loyalty. It was around getting to grips of exactly what trust means in insurance. Um, as an organisation, we've been around for over 100 years and it's the first time we've actually thought about how we want to measure tr- ins- trust and insurance, yeah. which was a novel concept, but there we go. So we, we, find, we finally, we agreed on quite rigorous research methods about how we go about it. It consisted of kind of extensive um, interviews with, um, with consumers, also kind of extensive consumer surveys um, and also survey of um, small and medium enterprises of um, stakeholder kind of in, again in-depth um, interviews of stake uh, kind of more senior stakeholders across the market etc and we came up with these nine building blocks or opportunities to build trust and insurance six to do with the, the holding and the transaction of insurance products and three to do with the claiming process and it's quite clear from the research results that loyalty as a building block or um, a theme um, within trust is clearly um, the area where insurers at the moment are performing poorest against the importance that's been attributed to it by customers. It's the outlier, really. Yes, yeah. There are other areas within the research that insurers perform very well on, particularly the claiming process, and that gives a you know that gives a bit of an indication as to the return on investment that insurers actually have. There's been a lot of focus on you know on on making sure that the claiming process is kind of is is, is as easy as uh, is, is sped up and as simple as possible. And in yeah. fact, gives an indication we're doing well there. But it's loyalty where there is an issue, and price, in fact, isn't as important to consumers as you might add as you might consume, as as one might have assumed which plays into this whole debate actually because as a as a professional body we do have a slightly more a more objective perspective over this 
um, this debate and we can understand how the rise and emergence of pub price comparison websites have led to particular behaviours in the market where there's been this overemphasis on price perhaps, right. where insurance firms to make sure they fin- they, they become right at the top of, um, of the listing on the price comparison website, they need to make sure they've got the kind of lowest price there. But if you, you, you have the lowest price um, that a consumer sees on the price comparison website, then needs, that needs to be compensated somehow. Therefore, you either hollow out your products so you, 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 um, the coverage isn't as good as it should be or you end up compensating them by charging more to, give, to, to returning customers. So, and from your findings, it's, it's kind of clear that customers don't mind paying that little bit extra if well, they it, know the cover's more comprehensive. It or, would suggest that it's just not as important as you might, as you might have assumed. Absolutely. Um, but then um, when it comes to loyalty at a time when this has been um, brought into the spotlight, um, yeah. So so um, firmly, so firmly recently that 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 is a huge a huge concern of 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 consumers. Yeah, it's important. To, it's very important to consumers, and it's considered that insurers are not performing as well as they should do against that principle. Now, from our again, returning back to our position as professional body, we are in a position to say that it's it's clearly an opportunity that the insurance profession has to build trust. In the feedback from the qualitative side of the research was that. Consumers feel as though their their loyalty should not be punished or penalised. It should be rewarded. Right. They feel as though that it's a you know that loyal that trust is a two way relationship. So they are implicitly by staying with a with an insurance provider, they are trusting them, and they feel as though their trust should be repaid. Um, where whereas at the moment the exact opposite is taking place. In yes. fact, yeah. loyalty. Whether the whether the insurance provider considers loyal, their loyalty actually to be in reality, you know, inertia or disengagement, but this isn't in the eyes of the consumer. We're looking at this from the eyes in the eyes of the consumer, perhaps more aligned to the kind of the, the interpretation of loyalty um, of sisters' advice. In fact, that um, they perceive their loyalty being punished. So, insure our kind of our recommendation to the, the to the profession is that um, without kind of suggesting how they might want to reorientate their business models for instance and we wouldn't want to go down that route because it's not a, it's not our position to do so and in fact we'd um we don't we get in trouble with the competition markets authority anyway we'd want to we'd want to encourage firms to consider how they might go about creatively rewarding loyalty in customers of, of their customers so that's the key message really so our that that kind of finding backs up really the attention that's been given by the regulators yes, and also yeah. by the sector up until now now you referred to our commitment to um, to conducting the the research on an annual basis hopefully when it's conducted again this summer we'll be able to demonstrate actually that the insurance profession has acted on it yes um and and highlight examples where where the, the profession's taken taken these recommendations on board so that's our hope anyway but we see it as an opportunity and it would be back it, it, i think we in line with the voluntary act, action that's already been highlighted by the abi and biba um we'd like the it's a good place to, for the insurance profession to start to act on their own accord rather than wait for the findings of the FCA. I think if once you, we start waiting for the findings of the FCA, we are then at the kind of mercy of the interpretation of that by the consumer groups and then by further action by government. And which, as I said before, I don't think we want to be in a position as a sector where there's direct direct action by days, the, the sponsoring department in this instance. So so that's that's where we are with the debate up until now. And I think it's probably just worth bringing to the listeners' attention that we've been engaged in the debate um, further on from the Public Trust um, Index. So we'd, we um, convened our, our own roundtable in Parliament 
about a month ago yeah. um, within the Insurance and Financial Services All-Party Parliamentary Group, which had all of the organisations that I've spoken about around the table to highlight this issue. And it was a good place for us as the professional body to be because we were convening this kind of debate as a hub and making sure that kind of all the different actors within the debate were in dialogue with each other and there wasn't going to, that there isn't ensuring that there isn't a any misinterpretation um, of each other's intentions, which there isn't, I think, kind of broadly speaking, there everyone's un aware of the direction of travel but also acutely aware that the kind of that, that sister's advice really mean business by the, with this issue um, and I think that's 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 very important to bear in mind and then the latest kind of event that we held was um, was in conjunction with insurance post magazine um, a couple of weeks back um, held at the CII more widely on reputation but then it also had a focus on dual or differential pricing where sister's advice also spoke again I wanted to drive that drive home. They're kind of the priority. They're sh they're, they're, they are um, they're showing to this issue at the moment. Absolutely. Um, so the CII um, has very much been part of the debate and facilitating uh, kind of everyone involved and, and looking for for solutions. Uh, yeah, in, we'd in like to think so. Yeah, right. And I, I think it's it, we just got to see it as an opportunity, really, because it's it's an opportunity for the, the the profession to build trust and that it highlights that this the practice of dual pricing not in itself it, it, it's not a uh, an evil in itself i think there's you know clearly within uh, you know with a mar in a within a market economy um within essential markets there needs to be some competition in price dual pricing and, and the difference between a price one consumer pays compared to another is a reality and we need to accept that but there are quite clearly cases where there's been a distortion as a result of different characteristics that we described to vulnerability, where there's been misinformation, where customers haven't been quite aware or fully informed about the product, for instance, which do need highlighting. And it's our place as a professional body to take the kind of Dave, David Attenborough view and realise that actually there's different developments that have led to, a, led to insurers behaving in the way in which they have. We can, you know, we can identify that and then bring that to ensure you know the profession's attention and try and provide some guidance about the way in which insurance can behave in a more professional manner i suppose and that's where we are with it and again just to to emphasize i think it, it's not pricing itself it's just it, you know differential pricing is just it's a fact okay well lawrence um thank you very much for joining us today on, no on CRI radio it's um it's clearly a very significant issue yeah. um and um we appreciate it is a rather complex one but but yeah. thank you very much for coming in and giving us um an incredible overview of, of, of where we're at at the moment and it will certainly be interesting to see how it develops um, in, in the coming months so thank you very much for coming in um, yeah, and joining us here today. No problem at all thanks very much. Thank you. Um, just one more thing as well if listeners do want to find out a little bit more about the uh, CII's Public Trust Index yes. um, they can visit the, the CII website. They can indeed and just and, and, uh, and type in Public Trust Index into the search bar <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Okay um, yeah thanks again Lawrence and thank Cheers. you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to find out more uh, please visit the journal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts where you can also subscribe and you can also find us on twitter at cii group uh, until next time thanks for joining us and goodbye